Welcome. My name is Paul, and I just want to let you know I'm one of the pastors here at Copper Hills, and we are honored that you've chosen to join us. For those of you that are joining online, welcome. For those of you here in the auditorium with us, welcome. Here's what I want to let you know right up front. I'm just going to be completely honest with you. Tonight, this morning, whenever you're watching, I'm going to be asking you to make a decision today. Just letting you know so you can get prepared. I'm going to ask you to make a decision today. So what I want to do to get started is I want to let you kind of make some decisions, kind of build up our decision-making muscles a little bit. So here's what's going to happen. You're going to look up at the screens, and there's going to be an option for you. Something's going to come up there, and you're going to have to make a choice. You're going to have to make a decision right away. You can share this decision with the people that are sitting around you, or if you're at home watching, you can share it with the people at home. You can even shout it out loud if you want to. You can talk about it. But here's the thing. You have to have an opinion. You have to make a decision. Are you ready? Ready to flex your decision-making muscles? Okay, here we go. Number one, who is the king of country? Is it George Strait or is it Garth Brooks? Talk about, not too many Garth Brooks fans out there, so raise your hand. How many say George Strait? Make a decision. How many say Garth Brooks? Okay, anybody like me? I don't care. I hate country music. (laughs) I just offended a few of you. I'm sorry, but I'm just just being real, just being honest. Okay, king of country. Number two, who is the king of the court? Ooh, is it LeBron or is it Jordan? Raise your hand for Jordan. A lot of Jordan fans. Raise your hand for LeBron. Only a few of you, okay. All right, no problem. I actually think it's Bill Russell, 11 titles. 11 titles, but I know it wasn't a choice. I'm, you know, I'm trying to mess with you a little bit here. Number three, ladies, queen of the silver screen. This rolls off the tongue. Queen of the silver screen. We're going old school here with Katherine Hepburn versus Meryl Streep. Meryl Streep versus Katherine Hepburn. Talk amongst your friends. This is a shout out for my dad's generation, my mom's generation. Here's a question for you guys so you can vote. How many of you think Katherine Hepburn? Woo! Woo. How many uh, Meryl Streep? Okay. Katherine Hepburn wins, I think. All right, number four. King of the coin. King of the coin. Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos. If you've been watching, Elon Musk's net worth has gone through the roof in the last couple of months. His Tesla stock is through the roof. This guy was like way down. He is like just past Bezos. How many of you say Elon Musk? Bezos? How many of you don't care? You hate these guys? <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. All right. Good. A few more. This one is for Brad. This is for Brad. King of the ice. King of the ice, hockey fans out there, is it Wayne Gretzky or is it Gordie Howe? Wayne Gretzky, the great one, or Gordie Howe. For me, I grew up in the Gretzky era. I loved watching Gretzky. Some of you who are a little older, maybe it's Gordie Howe. But uh, Brad, that was for you, buddy. You're welcome. You're welcome. Number six, the king of comedy. King of comedy, Jerry Lewis or Jerry Seinfeld? Which Jerry do you like? For me, it's Seinfeld. Again, I grew up in the Seinfeld era. I'll be honest, when, when, uh, when I first got to know Jerry Lewis, he was kind of an aging guy smoking cigarettes doing telethons. You know, he wasn't quite as funny for me, but Jerry Seinfeld, love that guy, very funny. What about the next one? Queen of modern music. This is for our younger generation that's out there. Is it Mariah Carey or Taylor Swift? I know the way my daughters would vote. They would all vote for Taylor Swift. How many of you in here go for Mariah Carey? Not very many. Taylor Swift? A lot more Taylor Swift fans, okay. Just a few more. You're you're doing good. You're flexing your decision-making muscles. This is excellent. How about the king of rock versus the king of pop? 
king of rock. These guys both had moves in their prime, right? These guys could move. This is what inspired Marquis, who was up here singing tonight. He was inspired by both of these guys right here. Elvis or Michael Jackson? How many of you Elvis fans? A lot of Elvis fans. All right, baby. Michael Jackson? <laughs> All right. Good, good, good. All right. Let's go two more. The king of coaching. John Wooden or Vince Lombardi? Tough decision. The Wizard of Westwood or Vince Lombardi? How many of you go with Wooden? UCLA basketball? Okay. Vince Lombardi? Go pack. All right. Okay. Good. And then the last one, who is really the king of Copper Hills? Is it Kevin Cabala or Butch Nelson? For those of you who are new or visiting, inside joke, Kevin Cabala is our family life pastor, better known as Forrest Gump over there. And then Butch Nelson is the guy over here who used to have hair just like me, beautiful, long, flowing hair. There he is on the far right, the king of Copper Hills. Make a little noise. Thank you guys for playing along. Thank you for making some decisions. And again, we are going to be making some decisions. If you saw the bumper video, it says the king and his cross. Before, before this year started, we were going through the book of Mark, and we got through about the first eight chapters of Mark, and we're going to continue that leading up until the time of Easter. And I'm unapologetically today going to ask you to make a decision. And, and some of what we've, been, what we've been seeing up on the screen is this idea of the king or the queen or who's most important. That's going to be the framework for what we're going to talk about. If you have your Bibles and you want to follow along, open up to the book of Mark, chapter 8. I'm going to be starting in verse 27. These scriptures will also appear on the screen for you. So you can look on the screen or you can use your own Bible, your own device. But I want to begin reading in Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 27. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. And on the way he asked them, who do people say I am? Well, as we jump into this passage, to me there's no coincidence that Jesus talked about this one particular question in one particular place. He asked this very important question to his closest friends and followers, who do you say I am? And he took them to this place that was outside of their normal world. This wasn't where they normally lived, normally hung out. The scriptures record them only going here one time. And this one place was a significant place. Without going into a whole lot of detail, the part I want to focus on today is that Caesarea Philippi was named after two kings. Herod the Great, who was the king when Jesus was born, named this town Caesarea after the Caesar. Then it was Caesar Augustus, later his son, Caesar Tiberius. That's the Caesarea part of the name. And then after Herod passed away and gave the kingdom to his sons, his, one of his sons' name was Herod Philip. And so that's the second part of this name. So this town, this region, this area is named after two kings. And I don't think it's any coincidence that Jesus decides to ask this question in a place that they'd never been to before, that they maybe were never going to go to again, that was famous for the names of these kings. And Jesus simply says to these guys, who do people say that I am? Verse 28. They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. They were saying, you know, here's what people are kind of saying about you. Some say you may be John the Baptist brought back to life. Some of them say that you might be Elijah who's come back to life. Maybe you're just one of the great prophets of old, similar to them, or just like one of them, Jeremiah, Isaiah, someone like that. That's what we've heard. If this question was posed today and we said, who do people today say that Jesus is? What are the, some of the answers that you think you would get? I believe some people today, if asked this question, would say, you know, Jesus, he's kind of a mythical figure. He's probably not even real. There's no proof that he was a real person. He's kind of a legend. 
Some people may say, yeah, maybe he was a real person, but I believe that his story is pretty exaggerated, pretty overblown. Some people may say, you know, he was probably a really good person. I believe he really lived. He was a good person, a good dude, a good teacher, really tried to help people. And then some people might say, I think he actually was who he says he was. He was the son of God. Well, Jesus gets real personal after saying to them, who do people say I am? Verse 29, he says, what about you? Who do you say I am? And I'm here to be honest. That's the decision that I'm going to ask you to make today. I'm going to have Jesus ask that same question to you today that he asked some of his best friends a long time ago. Who do you say that Jesus is? Who does Jesus to you? Well, in the scripture, we see right away that Peter answered. Peter was usually the guy that spoke first without thinking. But Peter gave this amazing answer. Peter said in verse 29, you are the Messiah. You are the Messiah. Now, the Messiah, that word is not a word we use much today. It's not much in our language. But to the Jewish people, it meant a lot. It was packed with so much meaning, so much understanding. Long story short, Messiah literally kind of translated meant anointed one. And the anointed one was synonymous for the king. If you remember all the way back in the Old Testament, they anointed their first king, King Saul, and then later King David. They were anointed with oil. That's how they became a king. And this Messiah was the one person that the Jewish people had been waiting for for a long, long time. They were waiting for a deliverer. Somebody to rescue them, to free them from their oppressors, to put them back on top of the world situation in the world and have them be in charge of everything that they were in charge of all their life and no one else oppressing them and taking things from them and telling them what they had to do. Those are all the things that are packed into that word Messiah. And so right now I ask you to think about that. Before you make your final decision, what's going through your mind right now? Who do you say that Jesus is? Was he a good person? Was he a wise teacher? Was he a holy man? Or was Jesus the goat, the greatest of all time, the king of kings and lord of lords? So we continue on in this passage. Verse 31 is where I want to direct your attention next. It says, Jesus then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed, and after three days rise again. Verse 32, he spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. I love reading the Bible. <laughs> There's some things in there that it's like, did you really just do that? Remember a couple of verses earlier, Peter's the first one to answer what? You're the Messiah. You're the man. You're the greatest of all time. You're what we've all been waiting for. And here a couple verses later, after Jesus says, well, here's what the, the man is going to have to do. Here's what's going to happen to the greatest of all time. Peter says, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. It says he actually rebukes Jesus. I can't even imagine doing that. Peter rebukes Jesus. And he's saying, wait a minute. This is not what I had in mind, Jesus. This is not what I signed up for. This is not how the story is supposed to go. The king doesn't die that kind of a death. The king is victorious. The king leads us in battle. The king defeats everyone else. You're getting it all wrong, Jesus. This isn't how it's supposed to happen. Look at verse 33. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he comes back and he rebukes Peter. He says, get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind 
the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. To me, it's just like, Jesus, like, you're rebuking me? I'm going to rebuke you. A few minutes ago, you had it all figured out. You thought you knew everything. And now this appears to be almost like a Christian cuss word. Get behind me, Satan, is what he's saying to Peter here. Harsh words. Now, for many of us, we can really think, Peter, what a knucklehead you were. I can't believe you would do this. How did you flip-flop? How did you think you could actually rebuke Jesus? Come on, what are you doing? Well, let's think of ourselves for a minute. How many times have some of us thought that maybe we knew a little bit more than God, or we knew a little bit more than Jesus, or Jesus really didn't understand our situation? Yes, Jesus, I know you tell me that I'm supposed to forgive everyone, but Jesus, you don't know my wife. You don't know my husband. You don't live with them. You don't know what it's like. Or Jesus, yeah, you, you, just, you know all about church stuff and church world things, but you don't know my business. You don't know what I'm going through. You don't know how I have to run this. You don't know what it's like. I know I'm supposed to trust you and believe in you, but this is kind of outside of your area of expertise. Maybe some of us have even thought, Jesus, you don't know what I've been through. You don't know what's happened to me. You don't know how I've been treated, how I've been abused, taken advantage of, the things that people have done to me. And you want me to respond, how? That just doesn't make sense. And so if we're honest, at some point in our life, maybe each and every one of us have actually been just like Peter. Whether we've said it or not, we've thought it, that Jesus, what you're asking me to do, it just, it doesn't apply to me right here. I need to kind of do my own thing. And the thing I want you to think about right here is, do you really understand what Jesus did for you and for me and for all of humanity Look again at verse 31. It says, Jesus realized that he must suffer many things, be rejected, and eventually be killed. What other person in your life has ever done what Jesus has done for you? What other person has ever treated you the way that he's treated you? In fact, think of it this way. In the stories of all the great kings, what story is there of a king that would willingly give up his life for others. That's not what kings do. Kings stay at the back. They're at the back of the line. They send everybody else in to die. Everybody else dies first so that they can live, so that they can continue on. Kings die on their deathbed as old men having lived a full and long life. That's not what Jesus did. He willingly gave up his life. And as I was thinking about this, he had the ability to just not do this. He had the ability to to get rid of all these other people that were trying to make him do these things. He had the power to overcome all these things, and yet he didn't do that. He didn't use his power for his own glory the way that so many kings and people of influence in our culture do, and maybe even some people in our own lives. This is what Jesus, the King of Kings, has done for you and for me and for all humanity. The last part of this story is in Mark chapter 8, verse 34 through 37. Verse 34, then Jesus called the crowd to him along with his disciples, and he said this, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. I mean, let's be honest, who's really preaching that message today? Who is saying, deny yourselves? Don't do what you want to do. There's no one that's telling us that. In fact, that's the exact opposite of the American way, right? What we hear in our society most of the time right now is, you do you. You be you. Whatever you want to be. 
You can change anything about yourself, how you started. You can be whatever you want. You can do whatever you want. It's all about you. You're in control. You, you, you. That's the message of the world today. But that's not the message of Jesus. And so if we're going to make a decision to choose Jesus or to follow him, as he asks us here in verse 34, then he's asking us to do the opposite of what the world is saying. It's not about us. It's about him. Verse 35, he says it this way, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? As I was thinking back to our country, we don't have a king in this country, and we know some other countries around the world that have kings. And why do we not have a king? It's because we were against that from the beginning. We didn't like the whole idea of what a king was. What did we see throughout history? Kings tell you what to do. They make you do things you don't want to do. And it's all about them, and they take everything for themselves, and they just use you and throw you away. We said, we want to get rid of that whole idea of a king. We don't want to be a part of that anymore. We don't like that, so we started our own thing. And so sometimes it's hard for us as Americans to understand this idea of a king and even appreciate what a king is. And so when we read in Scripture, when we sing in songs that Jesus is the king of kings, sometimes that doesn't really resonate with us. It doesn't really hold on. It doesn't make an impact in our heart and our minds the way that it should. And so the question that I want you to answer this last time is, who is really in control of your life? Is it Jesus or is it you? You see, we know that kings sit on thrones. That's what they do. And if each and every one of us inside of us, we have a throne in our heart and we have a decision to make, who is going to sit on that throne of our life? And in essence, we're saying, who is going to be in control of our lives? Who's going to be the decision maker? Who's going to be our, our guide, our leader, our king? I want to let you know that a long time ago, when, when I was a teenage boy, I made a decision that Jesus was going to be the king of my life. And I'm here to tell you that had I not made that decision, my life would be totally different. Generally speaking, I'm a pretty selfish person. Generally speaking, I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. But when I gave up control to Jesus, I have tried every day to let him be in control, and I've let you know that I fail almost every day. Almost every day, I ask Jesus to get off the throne, and instead I sit on the throne, and I take control of my life. And so this is a decision that you don't make just once, like I did when I was a teenager, but this is a decision that I have to battle, and I have to face every single day of my life. Who's really in control of Paul's life? Is it Paul? Or is it Jesus, like the commitment that I made to my king a long time ago? There's some of you that are watching online. There's some of you that are here today that maybe have never made this decision. I want to let you know this is the most important decision you'll ever make. Who do you say that Jesus is? Is he the king of kings? Is he a lord of lords? Or is he just one of those other things that we've talked about? For some of you, you've made that decision, but if you're honest with yourself, you're really in control of your life. Just like I am many times of each and every day. And today may be an opportunity for you to say, you know what, I want to recommit myself to Jesus Christ. I want to let him know that he is still the king of my life. 
and I want to get off of the throne, and I want to get down at his feet. And so in just a minute, I'm going to give you an opportunity to make that decision and have it be between you and Jesus. But there's one other aspect that I noticed that I've been missing as we've been reading through the book of Mark. And so I went back and read through the book of Mark again and many of the Gospels, and I noticed this consistent theme, and it's something that I think I've missed and we've all missed, and it's this posture, this attitude of our heart and our body when we come in contact with the King of Kings. And I'd like to kind of help you see this right now. And as you make this decision, I'd like you to consider this posture of your heart and your body. I want you to look at a a series of scriptures. I'm going to go through them pretty quickly just to make a point here that this isn't a one-time thing that we see in Scripture or in the Bible. First of all, in the Old Testament, is David, one of the kings, probably wrote this in Psalm chapter 95, verse 6. David said this, Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. You're going to see a theme here. Matthew chapter 2, verse 11. On coming to the house, the Magi saw the child. The child was the baby Jesus with his mother Mary. And what did they do? They bowed down and worshiped him. Matthew chapter 20, verse 20. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons, this is James and John, two of the disciples of Jesus. The mother came to Jesus with her sons, and what did she do immediately? Instinctively, she kneeled down and then asked a favor of him. And then look at all these passages from the the book of Mark, which we've already read through most all of these. Mark chapter 3, verse 11. Whenever the impure spirits saw Jesus, they fell down before him and cried out, you are the son of God. Even the impure demonic spirits knew who Jesus was and they knew how you were supposed to respond to Jesus. It was falling down in front of him. Mark chapter 5, verse 6. When the demon-possessed man saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. Mark 5.22, just a few verses later, then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came. And when he saw Jesus, what did he do? He fell at his feet. Mark chapter 5, verse 33, then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet. And trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. Mark chapter 7, verse 25, in fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. Mark chapter 10, verse 17, as Jesus started on his way, a rich young ruler ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Luke chapter 5, verse 8, this guy Peter that we've been talking about earlier, this is Peter, one of his very first encounters with Jesus Christ. When they pull in all these fish, they can't believe what's happened. When, when Simon Peter saw this, his initial reaction was to fall at Jesus' feet. Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. John chapter 11, verse 32, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And then finally, from the book of Philippians chapter 2, Paul writes this, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. We're going to wrap up our service by a time of communion, and I want to ask the band to come up and get ready now as we close out this time. And and again, here it is. This is the moment of decision. This is what I've been talking to you about. Today, it's just one simple question. Jesus asked his disciples that day in the region of Caesarea Philippi, who do you say I am? And today, I believe he's asking each and every one of us that exact same question. Who do you say Jesus is?
Who do you say I am? And if you're ready to make that decision today, I want to encourage you to make that decision with Jesus. And then I want you to share that with people that are here today. Maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a family member. Share it with those of us here at the church. Let us know. We're going to have a baptism ceremony that's coming up in another month. We want to help you with that process. But the reality is this is a decision between you and Jesus, and you have a chance to make that today. And if you're willing to do it, I would like you to respond the exact same way as we've seen in Scripture that almost every single person that came into contact with Jesus, and when they realized he really was the King of kings and the Lord of lords, what did they do? What was their response? Was to fall on their feet, bow before him, kneel before the King of kings. And so I'm going to ask you to do that today for those of you who are willing to do that and you're comfortable doing that. So in just a moment, I'm going to pray. After I'm done praying, I'm going to invite you to take communion. This is a time for you just to spend some time talking to Jesus individually, personally. And this is a chance for some of you for the very first time to say, Jesus, I think you are exactly who you said you were, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. For some of you, this is going to be a chance to be honest and say, you know what, Jesus, I made this decision a long time ago, but the reality is, is that I've been on the throne. And instead of me being at your feet, I've put you at my feet, and I've been sitting on the throne, and I'm sorry for that, and I want to change that, and I want to make a commitment to the best of my ability to live each and every day putting you on the throne of my life. So when I'm done praying, I just invite you on your own, wherever you want to, to make this decision. The band's going to play silently for a moment of time, and when they're ready, when they're done, they're going to lead us in the next part of our service. Thank you so much for trusting us, for joining us, and now I ask you, who do you say that Jesus is? Dear God, I believe that your son Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I believe he is exactly who he said he was. And God, I've given my life to him. And it's made all the difference in the world for me personally. God, I pray for each and every person that's listening and watching online and every single person that's in the the auditorium right now. God, I pray that they would feel your presence, that they would know you're real. I pray that they would have a moment of truth with you. God, give them the courage and the strength to go against the way of this world and instead of living for self, that they would make a commitment right now just between themselves and you that they're going to put you in charge, that you're in control, that they're going to make you the King of kings and Lord of lords in their life. Dear God, we love you. We thank you for your son, Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.